Welcome to the Half Faked History Podcast, where we get half faked and then we talk about history. Sup, my nerds. It looked for a second like you weren't going to say it. <laughs> like you were just staring off into my mug of Thompson mm, DePaul. No, I'm here. You're here. I'm focused. So we are officially in October. Huzzah. It's October 3rd. We are in the. Wait. Sp- what? It's October 3rd. Yeah. Like the Mean Girls name. Oh, is that is today Mean Girls Day? Yes. Man, usually somebody posts about it. I didn't see one post about it. I mean, I believe you. Yeah, it is. Well, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> so last year in October, we decided we were going to do spooky episodes or yeah. like spookily themed episodes scary so we decided to continue this year and boy do i have a doozy for us a doozy a doozy man i am excited i brought props for us props so i'm not going to tell you what the topic is i'm going to give you our little prop okay and see if you have any guesses all right okay Ooh. <laughs> the Little devil horns? Little devil horns. Is this good? Yeah. Is this, Don't we look Should cute? I go higher up? <laughs> no, I think that's perfect. Does mine look okay? Yours looks great. Thanks. Because I'm a girl, I put headbands in all the time. Looks natural. Very so do, devilish. Very devilish. So do you have any guesses as to what our topic could be? Um, Perhaps we're discussing the Bible and the origin of Christ. Well, the Bible is a big piece of this episode okay but we are going to talk about the history of exorcisms and then we're going to look at two exorcisms at the end Ooh, that's exciting it's pretty cool right man i don't know any of the history of exorcisms like i've watched the exorcist of course i've seen other exorcism movies Mm -hmm. that's it That's it. I mean, that's that's kind of all you need to know about exorcisms. That's my base knowledge. So I have two points I'm going to make before we jump in. The first is that this is a very Christian-centric view of exorcism. Exorcisms have been around in every religion, Mm -hmm. every culture since like the beginning of time. Okay. But we're going to we're going to hone in on the Christians in like some form or fashion. Yeah. Like, like they it, they're not all exactly the same. But yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I got you. Christian exorcisms. Yes. I mean, they're like the ones that popularized it anyway. They're the ones that all the movies are about. Exactly. I so know. I think this will do a pretty decent job of explaining. We're going to talk about like where demons come from. Like <laughs> Where do, where do they come from? They come it from hell. Like, it feels like a children's book. Like, where do babies come from? And it's a stork. <laughs> where do the demons come where from? Where do demons come from? Little demon baby. <laughs> when a mommy demon and a daddy demon want to have a baby and demon. And they hate each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk through that. We're going to talk through the history of exorcisms. We're getting very deep oh, here. I'm very excited put put me under let's go let's see what's going on i need to give my second point first okay 
I got so deep into where like exorcisms come from in Christianity yeah. that I read a 44-page student research paper <laughs> about it. And the paper referenced a lot of like ancient texts, religious research, like articles, books, like it was very scientific in its uh, research. Uh-huh. So I think that it can be considered a legitimate source. But it is technically, I guess, opinion. That's deep. Yeah. That's very deep. Yeah. I mean, you had to dig deep to find that. I did. <laughs> so shout out to Madeline Golbrinson. Thank you for Ms. writing Goldbrunson. this. Because I like I totally subscribe to it. Okay. I'm like, this is it. You're in. She she she's got the key. She is the leader, and you are just following. Write down this exorcism rabbit hole. So when we think about exorcisms, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is the Catholic Church, right? Sure. I mean, they're like the most famous users of exorcisms. It's like synonymous, I God feel like, at this point. And exorcisms is like peanut butter and jelly. Like, it's like they just they go together. It's like crab cakes and football. Yeah. It's what the church does. It's what Maryland does. Yeah. So during the first century CE, like the the year one hundred. Year one hundred. Christianity is like in its baby years, but it's on the rise through the Roman Empire and it begins spilling over into like the surrounding countries, mm. specifically Egypt. Okay. It starts really like gaining a foothold there. So the religion of the ancient Egyptians, of like the pharaohs, the hieroglyphics, like way back there, that's like on the decline. Not very popular anymore. Okay. But, like, it's still there. It's still a big part of their identity. It's just, like, we don't really believe this anymore. Yeah. Cleopatra, not in vogue anymore. Exactly. We don't care about all that stuff. The sun god, Ra. We heard about this Jesus guy. (laughs) (laughs) He sounds pretty cool. These customs that they have, though, they're not dying out completely. They're more of evolving and then being scooped up by the Christians. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, as we know... Christians, and also, maybe I should do a caveat before we get too deep into this episode. <laughs> As you're wearing devil horns? <laughs> As I'm wearing demon horns. Go ahead, please make your caveat, ma'am. <laughs> this isn't going to paint a pretty picture of Christians. Well, I mean, exorcisms, listen, if the movies are real. <laughs> <laughs> if the movies are anything to be believed. Yeah, I... It sounds like it's going to be a nasty business. Let's just keep that. I have a lot of opinions. That's my caveat. (laughs) So what I was going to say was, we know that Christians love to take pagan beliefs, traditions, whatever, and repackaging them into their own little thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what St. Patrick did. We saw that. Well, we heard about it. We heard about it. We We didn't didn't see it. We Listen, (laughs) we're not part of the Magic Treehouse. Your Honor... We're not wishbone. I didn't see anything. We can't go back in time and confirm. But we read about it. They're doing this to make, you know, the familial... Familiar. (laughs) They're doing this so that the more familiar religions of the past are more, like, palatable to the people that are converting. It's like, oh, like, there are some things, you know, that you can recognize. See, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's it's, just better. It's the version 2.0. This is the patch, the update. This is the update. Ours is, listen, it's going to run so much faster. You are going to become so holy, so freaking fast. You pray straight to God. (laughs) It is a direct line. (laughs) 
One of the beliefs that they decide to scoop up from the Egyptians and the ancient Romans are demons. Nice. I mean, listen, of all the lore things of different places, that's a good thing to pack in. That's like the the best part, I feel like. That's the most interesting part. Well, I mean, to Christians, probably Jesus is the most interesting part. <laughs> I'm a Job fan myself. <laughs> I really prefer the Gospel of Mark. (laughs) The term demon in ancient Egypt and Rome didn't mean then what we've come to know it to mean now. What did it mean? So demons were more like they could be... They could be... Oh, my God. (laughs) I was even trying to give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. Here's the problem. I misspelled it. So I'm trying to read it... (laughs) the misspelling but i know my mouth is doing the right thing let me try (laughs) go ahead you give it a shot demons can be benevolent benevolent or malevolent malevolent. (laughs) i kept wanting to say manevolent not that though malevolent yeah (laughs) there's no difference between the two And, like, there's no distinguishing term to say, like, this one's good, this one's evil. Okay. It's like they're, you know, good and evil are in a balance, basically. The malevolent beings were typically from, like, the underworld. They had supernatural powers. Mm. Like, you know, the things that we associate with demons today. Yeah. So, like, that matches up. But there were also, like, some good guys in there, too. Okay. Interesting. You summon a good demon. It could just be a deity. That you summon. Not even a demon. It could be the other D. The other D. You're getting the other D. So if we take that and then mix it with the Jewish belief of demons, which is that they are like the punishers and the like monstrous tormentors of the helpless souls in hell. Oh, okay. It's a pretty similar, like we mixed the two basically, and Mm -hmm. that's how we have our Christian demons. Love it. At this point, we're in like the third and fourth century. Christianity is, you know, in its little baby formative mm-hmm. years still. Yeah. Christianity begins to take on this mentality of it's us versus them. All right. So things haven't changed in a few thousand years. That would be an in the last 2000 years <laughs> nothing has changed. Okay. So the Christian view of demons has evolved to now like take on the image of animals, serpents, reptiles, all the stuff that you see in like yeah. the early paintings of, you know. Sure. Well, and right back to St. Patrick, he drove those snakes out. So who uses serpents and dragons in their, you know, religious iconography, but the ancient Egyptians and the Romans. Ah, okay. So it's all coming together. It's all coming together. So if an exorcism at its like base form is God fighting the devil or evil, Mm. Christianity sees itself obviously as the God figure and the pagan religions and their beliefs that they stole these ideas from. Right. They're the evil ones. We need to get rid of the old version. This new religion is what we should be doing. So this is no longer really like uh, just a religious battle of faith. It's more of like a social and cultural battle as well of like your old ways. Not cool. Don't jive. Mm -hmm. So now that we have our basis of like where demons come from. Yeah. Let us now turn to exorcisms. Mm -hmm. 
Similar to the Greeks and Romans, Christians began believing that demons aren't physical beings. So since they don't have their own body, they need to possess somebody else. Okay. I mean, that tracks, right? Like That belief hasn't changed. Mm Mm-mm. A sign of being inhabited by a demon was like having some sort of ailment or illness. Like that was what demons were. It wasn't, you know, hell and brimstone and fire. Oh, so like they just attributed sickness to demons. Exactly. So it was like, yeah, everything bad happening, that's a demon. Yeah. I mean, I feel so stupid even saying that. Right. Because of course, it's always like, there's something wrong with my child. There's something wrong with my husband. It's a demon. During the first millennium BCE in Mesopotamia, so like thousands of years ago, Mm -hmm. priests were the ones that like diagnosed any illnesses or anything that needed treatment, basically. So part of their work was expelling the demons that brought the illness and the chaos, you know, using like elaborate rituals. I guess that like that makes sense because they're like healers for the time. There's no doctors. So it's like... It's all very spiritual. Yeah. Right. I'm going to spit in your wound and rub this leaf on it. And say a couple pretty words. And then you need to sit under the moon for three nights. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So like in Mesopotamia, it's the job of the Christian exorcist to not only expel the demon from a person's body, but then to also like treat whatever illness is left behind. Okay. So it's very much not like what exorcisms are thought of today. Mm -hmm. This is medicine. Yeah, you need this. (laughs) So this gives Christian exorcists a lot of power then, which is like a great tool for converting people. So this gives Christianity like a dominance over all of like the local traditions. Because if you're sick, who who can you go to but the Christians? Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. No, the exorcist. (laughs) I need him. So exorcists are viewed as having like real magical power over these demons and the deities from other religions. Yeah. So it's easy then to convince non-Christians that like, hey, your supernatural beings and our Christian ones, like they must be, they're the same one. Yeah. They're looking in the mirror at each other. Right. And so if you want to get healed, like you got to become a Christian. Come on over here. (laughs) That's the price you got to pay. Man, exorcists are kind of like Rasputin because like he's just doing a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) They're just like making shit up as they go. (laughs) Christians also believe that they are the only people who held that power to exorcise demons. So no other religion's holy person can do what I can do. Yeah. Well, and before them, the world was just running rampant with demons. Sin till the eye could no longer see. Good thing they came along. Around this time in like the third and fourth century CE is where we get a lot of the Christian literature about the lives of saints. And like, that's where they're first being written and then like put into the Bible. Gotcha. One of those tales, I don't remember which saint this came from. (laughs) But one of the tales is that he speaks of Christianity in front of like these Greek and pagan philosophers. And he's like telling them his his ideas. Mm -hmm. He's like, listen, all that stuff you believe, here's what I believe. Listen to what I have to say. Then you can make your decision. I am Mark. So while he's like making his arguments, 
the thoughts and the words of the philosophers just they can't, they don't mean anything. Yeah. They're just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because only speaking of Christianity can uphold the power of God. Okay. So they're basically, in his view, they can't do anything. How are you going to argue with my boy Jesus Christ? Yeah. who? What God are you bringing to the party? Because I'm bringing this guy. JC. <laughs> <laughs> so this is basically where the idea of like speaking Christian scripture and like prayer becomes the basis of what an exorcism is. Because the power of these words supposedly like... It holds all this power. Sure. So that's how you drive out the demons. Yeah, that makes sense. Just through my words, the power of Christ will compel you. I'm so excited. (laughs) So for cultures like the Greek, who they would use spells to do Mm. their healing, they started using the Old Testament and Christian ideas in their spells to cast out demons. So it just kind of started like getting a little foothold in places mm. and like that's how it that's how it spread. Well, I mean, look, if you if you truly believe a demon is possessing someone you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to throw the whole kitchen sink at that thing. Yeah, I mean, like, whatever you can do. You're already casting spe- your Grecian spells. It's like, yeah, throw the Bible in here too. Why not? Like, you know, if, I'll take anything. If it has power, fucking try it. Burn some sage, throw some salt over your shoulder. Let's get rid of this thing. Do whatever the fuck you got to do. <laughs> So that's exorcism in its baby years. And it basically stays that way of like being this kind of more of a healing thing. Mm -hmm. It stays that way until like the 1400s. So even though these exorcisms are becoming like more and more popular, they're this great tool for conversion. Mm -hmm. There's only one mention of demonic possession in the Old Testament. Wow. Okay. So just one example to draw from. One example. And that's when King Saul is being tormented by this like evil spirit. And this also is dependent on how the Hebrew word for evil spirit is interpreted. So like. Might not even be. Might not even be possession. Interesting. So they literally had like no literary basis in the Bible. It's just this thing that they came up with and made into like this sacred ritual. Once we get in the New Testament, that's where we start to find more talks of exorcisms and like Jesus himself has the power to compel evil spirits. Okay, so we do get more writing about it in the future. Yeah, once they come up with like, all right, here's what we're including in the second half. Yeah. We're putting exorcisms in it. Okay, cool. So they're like, yeah, maybe that's not exorcisms, but like the new book is going to have them. Oh, we're going to have exorcisms cool we're gonna have all the cool shit in this book yeah people are gonna hate reading the old testament and they're gonna love to read the new testament they always go bigger in the sequel Mm -hmm. they always do well you have to i guess so it's not until around medieval times and like i said the 1400s that we now get a formula based off of a phrase in the gospel of mark And that's created to, like, use officially during exorcisms. Okay, you mean, like, like a template? Yeah. Okay. Like, we've got, we've, we've got the formula. Here's the rules. We've got the secret formula. Wait, you keep saying formula. Is it, like, a liquid? Is it, like... They call it, like, a formula. But what is it? It's a phrase. (laughs) So it's not a formula (laughs) at all. Well, that's what they call it. Okay, but not as we would understand it today. 
Not I as, guess not. You would never use formula as a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's like, this is, like you said, this is like the, the, the recipe. This is the recipe. Okay. The recipe for success. Yes. <laughs> it's Vade Retro Satana, okay. which is like, be gone Satan or like, get behind me Satan. Vade Retro Satana. Satana. Hmm. I like it. So this formula is found in a story from the 13th century about this architect selling his soul to the devil, but then he repents. So to get the devil out, a man has to perform an exorcism with the formula. And that's like what drives the devil out of him. Mm, I see. So he just like, he's totally like, uh, I take backsies. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be sold to the devil. So the formula doesn't gain popular recognition until like the 1600s when the European witch frenzy starts. Mm, okay. So they like kind of, they keep that one in the back pocket. They're like, listen, things aren't too crazy yet. Listen, this is a really cool story, but we don't need to, we don't need to share it yet. The witches are coming. <laughs> <laughs> They'll take care of this for us. It's free, free marketing. So it's around this time that historians believe that possessions became more about disease of the soul rather than a physical illness. Like this is where the switch happened. Mm, okay. So now it's something inside you. Now it's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You're fucking crazy. We need to expel that. You're a fucking witch. <laughs> and we're going to get that devil out of you. The story of how it got popular was women claimed that, you know, in their witchy selves mm -hmm. that they couldn't do any harm where a cross was present. And it was especially affected. Wait, they were especially affected by this Abbey in Germany. So people are like, what's up with the Abbey? Yeah. Why can't the witches go to the Abbey? So they inspect it and they find inside a cross painted with the initials of the formula. So now they're like, these fucking witches, we're going to put it in our, what was it? The Malleus Maleficarum. Oh. We're going to put it in there and it's going to, it's going to really take off. I love the Malleus Maleficarum. Dude. <laughs> I haven't thought about the Malleus Maleficarum since last year. Yeah. But it, I mean, what a great name. It's, now that I've said it once, I can't stop saying it. Mm -mm. It just lives rent free. It's like an earworm. Malleus Maleficarum. <laughs> so that somebody just painted this, like in this abbey. Somebody basically, like, it's the equivalent of uh, somebody saw a quote in a book that they really liked. Yeah. And they wrote out the, like, first letters of each word. And they're just running with this. They're like, yeah, that's God. That's it. Okay. Well, I mean, listen, anything to protect yourself from a witch. We need protection. Mm-hmm. So it catches on like wildfire. What's the phrase again? Let me find it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Vade retro satana. Ah, okay. So this is this is the hot thing this in is the Christian the circles. It is so fucking hot, dude. It's piping hot. People whisper it to each other. And they just melt. Oh. <laughs> Panties right off. <laughs> so once we get our little formula, an official guideline for exorcism is now established. Okay. Like, this is... 
This is it. This is where we've got it now. We've figured out exorcism. First, we thought maybe perhaps a possession. Now we know for sure. And in 1742, Pope Benedict XIV adds the formula to the Roman ritual, which is basically like the official like manual of all of the services that they can perform. Mm, so it's okay. like officially four exorcisms in print in 1742. Line up priests, it's exorcism time. We've got a new rite in, time, in town. <laughs> I always said in time. A new rite in time. That formula is still included in the current version of the Rite of Exorcism. Oh. It is still used to this day. Okay. So there's, they still lend some credence to it. We got through the history lesson. That is how we have exorcisms and demons. All right. Now to the modern era. Let's talk about some fucking exorcisms. Yeah. So the most famous exorcism is that of Roland Doe, which is what the book and the movie, what, what, what? I I just imagine Doe being spelled as like the bread. <laughs> I'm assuming it's not. It's D-O-E. But when I first heard it. Doe, like the dough boy. <laughs> okay, tell me about Roman. Roland, not Roman. <laughs> I'm totally off. Oh, shit. You got nothing right about that name. Okay. He's the one that the book and the movie, The Exorcist, are based off of. Oh, all right. Is he the... <laughs> Is that your tummy? I, I've got a demon. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to start speaking in tongue. <laughs> Dude, have you ever looked up, like, what that word is? For like speaking in tongues. No. It is such an I gotta look it up. It's like the funniest word to say. Glossolalia. Glossololia? Glossolalia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gotta case that glossolalia. Glossolalia. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a type of pudding. <laughs> It sounds like it sounds like your mouth's full of pudding when you say it. <laughs> what flavor is that? Glottolalia. <laughs> Prior to this point, exorcisms in the U.S. were incredibly rare, and they were seen more as like an embarrassment or like superstitious. Mm, okay, so they didn't like kind of take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, it was more of like a we don't talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, obviously, you don't want people to know you were possessed by a demon. Right. So it's not until the story of Roland Doe that, like, then really popularized exorcisms and they, like, blew up in the social stratosphere. Got it. He popularized it. So Roland was an only child born to German Lutheran parents. However, it's Catholic priests that are going to perform the exorcisms. Well, you want the best. They're the best in the business. Yeah. You don't go... Listen. Don't go to the pagans. We <laughs> learned that lesson. So even though Catholics are almost synonymous with exorcisms, Lutherans do also believe in exorcisms. So I went down the Lutheran rabbit hole a little bit. Okay. So Lutherans are some of the few denominations of Christianity that believe that believers and non-believers can be possessed by demons. Mm. 
So there. Anyone's up for grabs. Anybody. You don't listen. You could think Jesus isn't real all you want. A demon could still grab you. Gonna get you. He's he's gonna get you. He's gonna get you. (laughs) Roland was apparently very dependent on the adults in his household since he was an only child. And his like biggest playmate is his Aunt Harriet. And Aunt Harriet was a spiritualist and she introduces Roland to the Ouija board. Here we go. Just opens that door. Thanks a lot, Aunt Harriet. So Aunt Harriet bites the dust. She dies. Yeah. The family then begins experiencing strange noises. Furniture starts moving by itself. Ordinary objects are like flying and levitating all around the room. Man. So what could the family do but turn to their Lutheran pastor? Yeah. Like, you got to call somebody. Somebody's got to take care of this. Something's happening. Also, like, what would be scarier? Just seeing like a floating cup Uh or it flying across the room? I think it flying across the room. I would be freaked way more out by it just floating. Like it just sitting there. Yeah, that is. I'd be like, what's happening? (laughs) That's scary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to think about that. It's spooky season. Ooh, spine tingling. (laughs) (laughs) So the family calls up their Lutheran pastor and he arranges for Roland to spend the night at his house and he's going to like observe his behavior. So Roland spends the night at the pastor's house and the pastor says that his like furniture started moving, stuff started flying around. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I think you need to go get a Catholic priest. I can't do this. This is way (laughs) out of my scope. Yeah. (laughs) I cannot be held responsible for this. (laughs) So according to the story, Roland underwent numerous exorcisms by a Roman Catholic priest at Georgetown University Hospital in Maryland. Okay. There is no physical evidence of an exorcism ever happening there. All right. So, like, we don't have any documents. We have no proof that this happened. Mm -hmm. But according to Roland Doe, this is what happened. Okay. So he said this happened. I don't know if he... I don't know who told the story. Someone said he was there. Roland Doe. (laughs) During the exorcism, Roland was able to slip out of one of his restraints And he allegedly broke a bedspring off of the mattress and starts using it as a weapon, (laughs) like a sword. Oh, God. This apparently stops the ritual. They're like, you know what? We've had enough. Yeah, we're done with this. Listen, you fucking cut me with a piece of metal from your bed. We're done. The family then travels to St. Louis. So they contact a cousin who is able to contact or like is friends with a professor who is also a priest at St. Louis University. And he gets like one of his other colleagues to come and join him. Okay. But they're both priests as All right. well. So they're like, hey, the the Lutheran couldn't do it. We're gonna need to tag team this one. Lutheran couldn't do it. The first Catholic priest couldn't do it. Mm-mm. The two of us got this. Our powers combined. <laughs> both priests visit the family and they observe a shaking bed and flying objects. <laughs> And Roland is speaking in like guttural voices oh, and he's man. like, has an aversion to anything sacred. <laughs> I can't look upon it. Take it away. After this meeting, the priests were given permission by the archbishop to do an exorcism. He was like, holy shit. Do whatever it takes. That's fucking wild. Yeah. 
do the exorcism. Also, take a tape recorder. Or <laughs> Document something. everything. Please. Write it down in your diary. Do something. Priest Walter Halloran, he is summoned to come assist with the exorcism. So he comes to St. Louis. According to Halloran, during the exorcism, words like evil and hell and like other marks began appearing all over Roland's body. Uh And like the mattress began to shake. And apparently Roland broke his nose during like (sighs) broke Halloran's nose during this whole thing. Man. I mean, that's it's pretty crazy. But, like, he already got loose once, like, in the exorcism. Apparently, this exorcism works. After the exorcism works, Roland goes on to lead a just rather ordinary life. Like, okay. No more words appearing on his body. I got that out of my system. He's just working a normal nine to five. Everything's cool. I'm Roland. I'm Roland. Just Roland. (laughs) So, what is the truth here of what happened? The consensus from today's experts is that Roland was just a deeply disturbed boy. Sounds that way. Yeah. And nothing supernatural actually happened to him. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that. I wonder how like they imagined words on him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like everything else is like, no, I I could see it all happening in the realms of reality. Sure. Something could cause it. Yeah. One author did an investigation into the exorcism, and he claims that he found that Halloran never heard Roland's voice change, and that Halloran thought that Roland was just mimicking the Latin words that he heard the clergyman say, not that he could actually speak Latin. Mm. So he kind of like walked it back Uh after saying like, yeah, it fucking happened. Okay. I mean, so it sounds like everyone kind of walked it back. Well, and, like, Halloran never even checked Roland's, like, fingernails to see if he made the marks on his body. Like, Uh, nothing was done. Like, even if they said that this stuff happened, nothing was done to prove that he didn't do it himself. Right. There was no investigation. It was just hearsay. We're going to speak the words of Christ and compel this demon out. And he's better now. And now he leads a normal life. Look at him. He's so normal. Yeah. So that's, like, kind of the end of Roland Doe. Then the author of The Exorcism writes the story about it. It becomes super popular. And now we have a million exorcism movies. Right. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he was just a disturbed young man. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think that he was just like a teenager that wanted attention. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe he had real problems. Sure. You know? Yeah. They didn't know much about mental illness. Yeah. So we have one more case of exorcism to talk about. Oh, I can't wait. This one comes all the way from Germany and is probably the second most famous exorcism. They did an episode on it on Case File, I believe. Oh, okay. I don't think I've heard about it. What if I tell you it inspired the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Ooh, I don't know if I've seen that one. I've seen that one. That's the one that scared you, right? It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, and it's the uh, the woman from Dexter, Deb. Oh yeah, she's the she's Emily Rose. Oh okay, man, mm. she is scary. Man, I might have to watch it. Uh, I remember it being like entertaining. Yeah. Like I enjoyed it, but I definitely got scared. Mm. More 
or less scary than what? Than the uh, than sinister. Uh, I would say less scary. Like I was definitely scared when mm-hmm. I watched it, but I do not remember being as scared as when I watched Sinister. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That one really scared me. <laughs> anyway. Back, back to Emily Rose. Back to Emily Rose. Her name is actually Annalise Michel. And she was born in 1952 in West Germany to a Roman Catholic family. Her family was very religious. Went to mass like twice a week. Mm -hmm. Like extreme. Heavy emphasis. Heavy. I literally bolded the word very (laughs) religious. (laughs) Bolded all caps. Yes. Very. At the age of 16, she was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. And at the age of 18, she's placed in a psychiatric hospital due to her severe convulsions. Man. Okay. So they already know she has... She has problems. She has problems. She was prescribed anticonvulsant medication, which wasn't helping to like alleviate the problem. So then she's prescribed a medication that's used to treat various types of like psychoses. So like mm. schizophrenia, delusions, disturbed behavior. Yeah. Just kind of cut blankets over everything. Yeah. One size fits all. So she's on these medications for three years and she starts experiencing depression. She has hallucinations while praying. She begins like complaining of hearing voices that tell her that like she's going to rot in hell and she's damned. Man. So she's like, she's probably like bipolar or something. Probably. Like having some sort of psychotic break. Yeah. And during all of this, she's still in the hospital. So this doesn't help her mental state. It, you know, worsens her depression. Depression. Her, that damn depression. Her depression worsens and she becomes like increasingly frustrated with her medical care because it's like, look, I've been on this for five fucking years now and like yeah. I'm still having issues. Things are getting worse. So around this time, she also starts to become intolerant to like Christian sacred places. And objects. Oh, okay. So she's like, she's like the witches of old. Like she can't go into places. She can't, she can't even look at stuff. Yeah. It shines too bright. It hurts my eyes. The letter T is a problem for me most days. I write all of my words with no T's. So the family friend that like witnesses this, they conclude, well, she's possessed by a demon. Obviously, you guys didn't think about this. Y'all are idiots. This would have been my first stop. I spent one day with the girl and I can already diagnose her as needing an exorcism. Demon. (laughs) After the family friend says this, her family's like, yeah, that's it. That's the answer. Gotta be. They go to several priests and they formally request an exorcism, but ultimately they're denied. The archbishop is like, nah, this woman's just has a mental illness she's not possessed okay i mean can we get like a little golf clap like he's right because nobody is (laughs) everybody sucks here she's prescribed another antipsychotic drug 
But despite taking these, her symptoms worsen. She starts like seeing demons now. Oh, man. She begins throwing up regularly. Like things are not good. Yeah. The meds are making it worse. The family's priest is like going to the bishop and he's like, dude, we need to do an exorcism. Yeah, you don't get it, man. It's bad. It's bad, bad. And this is the only answer. And he's like, I've never even seen her be epileptic. Uh Uh-huh. I don't believe it. The the priest doesn't? Yeah. He's like, she's she doesn't look like an epileptic to me. <laughs> you can tell when you see him. That's a demon girl. <laughs> the local b- bishop relents. He finally approves an exorcism, but he orders that like it's gonna have to be in total secrecy. You tell nobody mm. about this. Man. Yeah, I mean they they gotta keep this under wraps. Cause Cause like it's gonna be an embarrassment otherwise. Yeah. Right, people still don't want to talk about this stuff. Annalise was put through 67 exorcisms in all. All right, well, that's a lot more than one. Over a 10-month period, she was having exorcisms once or twice a week, each one lasting up to four hours. Jeez. And like her family just was like cool with that? Yeah, they're like, this is the answer. Awesome. This is, this is it. Great family. Toward the end of the exorcisms, Annalise began denying food, and in July of 1976, she dies in her family home from malnutrition and dehydration. But not possession. Not (laughs) possession. She spent almost a year in near starvation. Jeez, man, that's awful. She weighed 66 pounds at the end of her life. Ugh. She also had... Uh, broken knees from like continuous kneeling for prayer oh gosh can you imagine that's awful man oh god i just can't believe like people like doing that to their family members like actually believe that shit but like yeah like this is helping you yeah this is good this is working you are you look so great you have never looked better sweetheart it's working i know you can't stand because your knees are broken but it's gonna be worth it in the end look where you were a year ago (laughs) healthy (laughs) where you could walk Ultimately, the state charges Annalise's parents and the priests that performed the exorcism with negligent homicide because they're like, even her death could have been prevented as late as one week before she died. So like they had ample opportunity to turn this shit around. 10 months, it sounds like. Yeah. Negligent homicide. uh, Let's try murder. Even (laughs) though they're charged, the state recommends that none of the parties should be jailed. Instead, they recommend that the priests should be given a fine and the parents should be exempt from punishment because they had suffered enough. Dude, you guys like should be hunted down in the streets. Yeah, like you're going to go fucking easy on them. Yeah, like I'm not calling for their heads, but like you need to be punished. The parents go to court and they're defended by famous Nuremberg trials defense attorney Eric Schmidt Leichner. Awesome. That's something great you want on your lawyer's resume. Yeah. I'm on their side. Yeah. He argued that the exorcism was perfectly legal because in Germany, the Constitution protects citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. So he's like, it falls within the parameters. The exorcism is okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> the defense then followed up with playing tapes from the exorcism, where they claimed you can hear the demons arguing to assert their claim over Annalise. Oh my gosh. Can you, like, I just can't even wrap my brain around, like, what? People are so dumb. Like, how could you believe that's real? And even if you did, you saw, like, what, like, her life was worsening. Yeah, you saw the state that she was in. Yeah, you did that. So the defense ultimately claims that during the final exorcism, she was finally freed of the demonic possession. So, you know, it technically worked. It's not our fault that she then died afterwards. Here's the caveat to 10 months of exorcism. You die. You die. So technically it worked. Well, and she went to heaven, so it's all good. Ultimately, the parents and the priests were found guilty of negligent homicide, and they received suspended prison sentences and they were ordered to share the costs of the legal proceedings and that was their only punishment man that fucking sucks oh screw those people dude that's awful Mm -hmm. that's way more sad than the first exorcism yeah (laughs) not a happy ending for that one no Mm -mm -mm. and that's the note we're gonna end on (laughs) oh wow yeah i mean it really turned into something once they put it in those rights, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a I have a question for you. Okay. What is your favorite like media form of exorcisms? Like is it like is it like the exorcist book, the movie, a different one of the movies like the exorcism of Emily Rose? Like which ones of those are my favorite? What do you like which one the most? Well, I've never read The Exorcism. Oh, okay. Or The Exorcist. Yeah, The Exorcist. Yeah, not The Exorcism. <laughs> got there. Um, I mean, The Exorcist is, it's a classic, you yeah. know? Like, it's not scary. No. It's like kind of gross. <laughs> but like, so it's like, a, it's a classic. Yeah. But like, Emily Rose was like, if you want to be scared by a scary movie, it's going to scare you. Oh, scarier. Yeah. Okay. But so like, but I don't know which one I would like the most then. Probably once you read it, the book. Would you consider Paranormal Activity a possession movie? I guess, but I don't really know. I would consider Constantine. Yeah, but that's not a scary movie. I didn't say scary. I said favorite exorcist thing. (sighs) Is he like an exorcist, though? He's doing exorcisms, and then he sends himself to hell. Man, how high was I when we watched that? I don't know, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I guess more than I thought. Yeah. I remember enjoying it. It's a good movie. But uh, that's it. That's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Half-Baked History Podcast. If you like the show, please leave a review or tell a friend. For show updates and more, follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at halfbaked, H-I-S-T-R-Y. See you next time.